If somebody calls themselves a life coach and they're trying to get you to hire them, run the other way. Anytime there's an area of my life that I want to level up, the very first thing I do is hire a competent coach that has the expertise and experience to pour into me so that I can improve. Knowledge without execution or implementation or without action is utterly useless. Worthless. Fear and doubt and all that stuff is true. But I, at the end of the day, I just look at people who don't do anything in their lives and I go, you would rather be miserable than uncomfortable <laughs> and you don't want it bad enough. What the elite understand is, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you will keep getting what you've been getting. Right. If you don't like what you've been getting, you need right. to change what you've been doing. My guests today are Alan Stein and David Nurse. I've gotten to know Alan and David because they're great communicators. But before they were great communicators as public speakers and authors, they were coaches. Coaching in the area of fitness and nutrition and then shooting with some of the best basketball players in the world. I had them come in because I wanted to get their insight on why the greatest athletes in the world hire coaches and desire to be coached. We'll dive into that topic and so much more. Let's get to it. So I can take a total snapshot of my life, guys, and I can look and I can look at the people that had the most influence in my life. And if I were to move family members out, for me, it's coaches, coaches, coaches. I mean, from moments in my life when I was a little seven-year-old, too little to probably play soccer, and one coach believes in me, Seven, I remember it. I can go through my entire high school journey. I was not a prolific athlete. No comments. Yeah. Okay, But I, I look back and I go, they had as much impact on my life as anybody else. Forget teachers, pastors. It was coaches. Uh, and I just believe that we overlook the role of a coach in our lives. So the question I want to dive into is, why does everybody, and I mean everybody, in more areas than they probably would imagine, why is it important that we get coaching, have a coach in our life? Mm, I think it's a great point. And for the most part is, think about this. When you're a kid or at any time in sports, that coach gave you a word of encouragement, some type of belief that sparked you to be able to do what you're doing now. Everybody has that. Everybody has that coach. Even in the NBA, coaches like Eric Spolstra believed in Duncan Robinson. You think these NBA players, they're like, they have it all together. They're locked in. But even they need that that word of encouragement. So it's you need the encouragement. I think great coaches and great leaders, they have this ability to just know the fine line and the dance between challenging and supporting. So the support and the encouragement, but also the challenging and knowing what that person is capable of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a oh, really sure. good coach isn't gonna say you can you can be an NBA champion if you have no ability to play in the NBA. They know that kind of like a, an upward right on a graph trending of the right amount of challenge and the right amount of support. And just honestly, like in the third piece of that is just the accountability pieces. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by the fact that great athletes, so golf, so golf for me is the hardest sport in the entire planet. It's so brutally for hard. For everyone. And yeah, for everybody. And you look at the great golfers and their coaches are guys that can't even hang with them. Like if they were to go play in a, in a one-on-one 18-hole match, so they're getting destroyed. But the greatest golfers in the world are listening to these guys. And I find that fascinating, Alan, because they understand the value of that. And yet, most of us walk around in our life, and we don't even, we don't even kick around the idea of, maybe I should get some coaching. Yeah, which, which is a huge mistake. Well, first of all, I share your sentiment that the most impactful people in my life have absolutely been coaches. Yeah. But to kind of double down on what David just said, I mean, the question I would ask your listeners and your viewers do you need to learn something new? Do you need to level up skill sets? Do you need to be held accountable? Do you need feedback? Do you need to be inspired? Do you need to be motivated? You know, do you, do you, if you need any of those things, uh, mm. then you absolutely need a coach. Yeah. And for me, I believe in the paradigm so much that the moment I decided to become a, a professional keynote speaker, I hired a speaking coach. Right. The moment I decided to write my first book, I hired oh. a writing coach. Oh. Right. Uh, it's funny being here in the, the Ramsey Studios because I've made so many poor financial decisions in my life that I finally hired a financial coach. I right. call him my money coach yeah. to help me course correct. And anytime there's an area of my life that sure. I want to level up, the very first thing I do is hire a competent coach that has the expertise and experience to pour into me so that I can improve. So you guys have both coached big-time athletes, high-level. Uh, both of you have connections to the NBA. 
your specialist, Alan, in the physical side of things. David, you become a shooting coach. You weren't even that great of a college basketball player. How is it even possible? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Who are we asking? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like that's what I want people to understand. Yeah. What is the magic there when a coach cannot play good as golf as Tiger yeah. Woods, but Tiger trusts the coach? What's the dynamic well, there? Well, you just said the word. The magic word is trust. It's sometimes when players are really talented, they don't know how they got there or they don't know how to get to the next level per se. You literally have to work for everything. You have to study film. You have to find the little finite yeah. details to make yourself all that better. Your ceiling might not be that high, speaking as experience over sure. here, but you know what it takes for another player and you can see it in them. But ultimately, it comes down to they trust you. And the great ones, as Alan knows, is they want to be coached. That's the difference in people in yeah. life in general. Like Alan's saying these three different coaches that he has and people are like, oh, well, well Alan's really successful. Why would he need those? Because he is successful. That's right. how he gets there into the next level. It's the people that are the average players. And I've been around a lot of NBA players, and a lot of them don't understand the details. They don't understand mindset. And you're like, well, you're never going to be as good as you possibly can because you don't have, like, you can't see that next yeah, level. There's no hunger. There's, there, right. Who are some of the people? But Go ahead, Alan. Well, no, what I was going to say, I mean, David's so right on point there, but when you look at some of the most iconic, and we'll just stick to sports, team sports yes, coaches. Right. Coach K, who I know we share an affinity yes, for, yes. Greg Popovich, Bill Belichick, Phil Jackson. Um, they all were able to play at a certain level, but certainly not right. at the level no. of the players that they coach. So, so I think that's a huge mistake that someone would make in saying that a qualifier for a coach is that they need to have played at that high level because playing at a high level and coaching at a high level are completely different skill sets. Mm. That's really so, true. I'm so glad you said that so because uh, both of you, again, I mean, you both played ball at a level that I did in the next level, okay? So that's also very difficult. But people trusted you. These athletes trusted you because of your ability to see something they could not see and point that out. Is that fair? Is that too simple? I know it's more complex than that, but is that not oh. at the root of why an athlete would trust somebody like you guys? That's absolutely mm -hmm. the root of it. And, and one of the most important, and this is why David's been so good at what he's done is you have to show in this case, athletes that you care. You know, I made sure that my players knew that I cared about them as a human being first and as a basketball player second that their goals and dreams now became my goals and dreams. And that was my job to do everything within my power, everything within my experience and expertise to create the blueprint and hold them accountable and push them and challenge them to reach their goals. It was never about me. It was always about yeah. them. And that's what a good coach does. Okay, uh -huh. guys. So how long do you think it takes to earn the trust of, of an elite athlete that you've coached? How, how much time do you think they're giving you? General rule of thumb. Well, they're going to make a snap judgment immediately. That's what I'm saying. Is yes. that like 30 seconds? It, it can be very, very quick. And, and especially when you get to the level of the players mm -hmm. that, that David's worked with, they're already guarded. They're already on defense. They're already being protected because everyone comes at them wanting something. So Give the me an first... example, David, somebody he's talking about. We haven't bragged Oof. yet. Like, uh, like, well, okay, here, I'll give you one. Biggest Demo names. Well, I'll give you Domatis Sabonis. is a three-time NBA All-Star now. And this will be a great story for people listening out there, too, because also, like, what Alan's hitting on is you show them a vision. You have to show them where they can get to. So when Sabonis came in the gym in 2018, I mean, he's got his guard up. He's like, you know, his dad was Arvinas. He's the man. And, yeah. and I asked him a question. I was like, well, what are your, what are your goals? He's like, I want to be great. Well, what does that mean? Like, that's pretty vague. What does great mean to you? So first off, he had never had anybody say that to him because most people would just say, oh, yeah, okay, let's, let's get great. Let's right. get really great. Right. So we defined his goal as he wanted to be an all-star. Like, okay, when are you going to be an all-star? It's 2018. said so in two years we set that goal. So 2020. It's like, okay, that sounds good. But we had to make the goal even more specific so that we knew every day we were going to take a step towards reaching that goal. So 2020, Where's the game at? Chicago, Illinois. When is the game? February 18th. Tip-off is 7.30 p.m. So we had a very specific vision, a goal, a mile marker for where he wanted to get to. Now, ultimately, he wants to be a Hall of Famer and such, but you have to hit certain rungs on the ladder before you can just go be a Hall of Famer. So with Domus, we basically took what he wanted, what he defined as his greatness, and showed him step by step, and I walked with him step by step on a daily basis, step by step. 
And that's what great coaches do. And you earn the trust that way as well. As he never had somebody say that to him before. Yeah. And he never had somebody show him a roadmap for where he could be in the future. Ding, ding, ding. Allen, roadmap. That's, that's it. I mean, David just broke it down. And, and you know, uh, I have a strong appreciation and respect for the basics, yeah. for the fundamentals. Yeah. Uh, I Everything, believe com yeah, complexity yeah. undermines execution. The more complicated we try and make things, yeah. the less likely they are to get done. And what David just said is he collaborated with him, decided on the, the, the vision, and this is the North Star that we're going to try and pursue. We're going to re reverse engineer and work backwards and say, here are the markers, the daily behaviors, the micro sets, like the routines that we need to stick to. It is my job as the coach to not only lay that blueprint, but to hold you accountable to the highest standard of excellence mm. possible mm -hmm. so that you can achieve that. And, and to me, accountability is one of the most important parts uh, of being, well, not only a good coach, but a good friend, a good parent. Sure. I mean, it, you know, oh, it, yeah. it's, it's accountability and, and holding someone accountable it's a gift. Yeah. It's something you do for someone. It's not something you do to them. And when you've established that trust, like David has done such a brilliant job of doing, the, the players crave that. Yeah. They want you to hold them to that high standard yeah. because that's how you show them that you care about them. Yeah. And, and accountability is everything. Yeah. And, and, and this is fascinating because here's what's happening for our audience. I hope they're catching. What, what I've led you guys into is you're describing what makes a good coach because I want people to be able to when they interview potential coaches, whether it be a financial coach, mm -hmm. a nutrition coach, uh, uh, exercise, you know, whatever, uh, weight and conditioning, uh, shooting coach, you know, uh, all that stuff, you got to know what a good coach looks like, sounds like, smells like. Mm -hmm. Isn't that fair? Because there are a lot of shysters. Yeah. I just, just, I, I can't wait for you guys to react to this. <laughs> so this morning I went on Google and I just started Googling what are people searching for when it comes to coaching? Life coach is by far the number one thing. And then I saw something that said coaching, life coaching is now like a $2.8 billion industry. And uh, my eyes about fell out of my head. And there's a lot of shysters out there. I mean, people who will sell you a big game. Yes. And I, I hope we're leading yes. into what Alan yes. and David are saying here because you coached, uh, you were coaching stud athletes on their physical training. One by the name of Kevin Durant who at that time was probably, if not the number one prospect in the country as a, as a, as a future NBAer. Uh, I mean, he's, he's not, if he's not one, he's two. And these kids, I, I don't know if our audience who aren't into sports don't realize this or not, but at that level, you're already treated like deity at 15 and 16. Am I, am I overstepping when I say that? Totally, totally. Can I hit a point where you said yeah, before that yeah, and come back in. to the Kevin Durant stuff? Is he's worked with some of the greatest that there are, and you're talking about, the, the people that are fakes out there. And you said yeah. life coach is one of the most searched thing. If somebody calls themselves a life coach and they're trying to get you to hire them, run the other way. <laughs> Nobody calls himself a life coach. Right. We, we can't change. I mean, you, it is your life, the right. person's life. Right. So it's like we, we see in the NBA training world. There's a, if you have a crazy nickname, I won't call any of them out on air, but you can go on Instagram and right. see who's posting about everything. And that's one thing that the, the best are not going out there and they're just using their players. Like right. Allen's worked with some of the greatest ever. Right. But you don't see him just throwing up all these Instagram oh my, right. guy and right. Allen too much some kind of nickname that he's got. So I don't know. We had to get that out of well, there no, with, I, the, with, well, the, with the okay, face. So that's a key point. And we're coming back to you on this. Sure. But this is a key point. Both of you have grown your coaching business. Like you don't just get Sabonis' son to show up. He heard about you. Right. So there was a level of credibility when he walked in the gym. And he's still got to be coachable. We're going to get to that later. Mm. Okay, mm. we'll get to that. But we're talking about what is a good quality coach and why do we need him? What should we expect from them? So, but but do talk about like how you establish credibility with a high school kid who's essentially treated as deity. Yeah, and well, you're before I do him, that, hey, David just said something that I love this. another thought. <laughs> we got That's, the onion. It's officially yeah. we're unpeeling yeah. the onion. And this let's is and let's keep peeling back those layers. A good coach will also personalize and customize and be chameleon-like enough. Yeah to know exactly what it is that you need. That's a great Because you point. should not be coaching everyone the same. So right. I, I'm the father of twin sons. I have 13-year-old twin sons. They literally share DNA, and I don't parent them the same. That's a great Because point. my son Luke has different needs than my son Jack, so it's not a one-size-fits-all. That's great. You know, as a coach, it's not about you. It's about them and figuring out how do they feel appreciated? How do they need to be held accountable? You know, and, and to me... The customization, that would be one of the questions that I would ask and I have asked when I'm hiring coaches 
is how are you going to coach me differently than you've coached some of the other folks That's that a you, great you've worked point. with? So customization is is huge and personalization. And a massive red flag if someone's not digging into yeah. you enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way you took on Sabonis, you go like, oh, wait a second. You went three or four levels deeper. What are we specifically looking at before you go, okay, I got the orange cones out here. Here's what I want you to do for the next 20 <laughs> yeah. minutes, you know? Yeah, the like tennis ball drills that look really cool. I've got a crazy story about that, but yeah, keep <laughs> yeah. going to Kevin Durant. Right, so I do want to get to this because here's where I'm going with this. I want the audience to understand because here's what I know. There will be people listening to this who are coaches and they want to grow their coaching business. Yeah. Yes. So we're, we're hitting everybody right here. And on this specific question, how did you establish trust? Because I want the audience to be thinking about your answer through the lens of, how they should be establishing whether or not they can trust because you're in charge, not the coach. Yes. As a client, yes. If you're paying a coach, you better know that it's a good fit. Yes. How did you establish rapport with high school schoolyard legends? With high school players, it can be more challenging because sometimes, respectfully, they're a tad bit socially shy, right. socially anxious, right. socially awkward. Uh, so for me, I always believe in leaning in with curiosity and fascination. Yeah. I do way more asking questions than I do telling them. So I wanted to get to know KD as soon as possible and wanted to find out what's important to you. Where are you trying to take this? What would you consider a good workout? Okay. What things have you done in the past? You know, I wanted to make sure he knew it was all about him and, and let him know that I absolutely believe in you. I have your back. And I am here to help you get where you need to go. This is not about me. This is all about you. And that's, you know, the, the foundational mantra of transformational leadership is it's, it's not about me. It's yeah. about you. Yeah. So he needed to know that his goals now became my goals. Mm -hmm. But with that, that I was going to hold him to the highest standard of excellence possible in order to reach that. Yeah. And, you know, one, an interesting story. So I just mentioned I have 13-year-old twin sons, and I also have an 11-year-old daughter. And all three of my children play youth basketball, and all three of them have told me that they have the goal of playing in college. Okay. Well, as a father, I had to have a heart-to-heart, -heart, rather difficult conversation with them the other day because I had to tell them, both personally and professionally, my evaluation is your current level of commitment is not going to get you to play college basketball. Yeah. That, that one of two things needs to change. Either you guys need to recommit, lock in, and start working on your craft every single day to make the dream of playing college basketball actually a reality, or, and this is equally fine, you need to change your goal. You need to say, I don't want to play college basketball. I just want to play for fun. I just want to play with my friends. And I said, there's nothing wrong with that choice. I will love you unconditionally no matter what you all choose. But as your father, and in this case, kind of as your parental coach, I'm not going to let you straddle the two worlds. I'm not going to let your beliefs and behaviors not be in alignment. I'm not going to let you say you want to play college basketball, but then have the type of commitment level and work ethic that I know for a fact, having trained hundreds of players that have played college, that won't be good enough. So I said, you guys need to make the decision. Whatever it is that you decide, I will love you and I will support you and I will encourage you, but I'm not going to let you play in between. And see, that's an attribute of a great coach. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the, the, you, there's some similarities between the heart of a coach and the heart of a parent. Yes. And David, you were talking about accountability. A good coach is going to go, look, well, this is what we said what you were going to do. Yeah. You're not doing it, bro. Well, isn't that the great thing, too? And, and Alan was talking about asking questions. Great coaches ask a lot of questions. It's even when, like when I coach CEOs, they know more about their business and what they're going to do sure. with the stock market and everything like that. But if I ask the right questions, it's yeah. going to get them there. But also the double win in it and with kids and high schoolers as well is you ask them questions so they take ownership of it. Say, hey, mm -hmm. what, what are your goals here? And they'll say it. And it, you'll kind of craft it the way you want them to answer in certain situations. But if you tell somebody something, they have the inclination of pushing back a little yeah. bit. Of like, I'm going to have a little resistance here. But if you ask them, they say it. I mean, you also get to where... They want to be, but they also take ownership of it. And yeah. that's the key. It is. Asking questions is like, literally, that's my job. I basically yeah. the asking questions is my job. Yeah. It's good because it, it, you know what it does is okay, that's what I've been doing for years. Yeah. And you're good at it. <laughs> you're good at it. I, well, you're that's a master. The, debatable, but, 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 <laughs> but it's about awareness. And I think of coaching as a mirror. 
We all have blind spots. Yes. Right. I want to throw this at both of you. Well, I want to add one point to that. Yeah. yeah you do, I love that you just said mirror because that's ultimately our job as coaches is to hold up a mirror that's it. To, to the client, to the athlete, yeah. to whoever we're working with. So uh, when I was going through a divorce almost a decade ago and, and I decided to go in for some professional counseling and therapy, of course, my terminology is I called her my relationship coach uh, instead of a, a therapist. Absolutely right. Yeah. But Absolutely. what she did a mass, she never once told me what I was supposed to do or what she wanted me to do. All she did was ask me questions and drop the breadcrumbs. And then I figured it out for myself. But what that did is now I have full ownership. If I make a decision and I don't like the fake, the way they, it turns out, I have no one to look at, but myself, I made that decision. And I think that that concept of Jocko Willink's extreme ownership is vital. So that's also the role of a coach is to ask the right questions at the right times to get the person you're working with to make the decision and then you hold them to that decision. And then if if they realize they need to pivot, if they need to make a slight change moving forward, then you also guide them through that. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, and, and this is when, when I do corporate keynote speaking, one of the main groups I speak with are sales professionals. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, telling is not selling. If you, if you want to improve your sales, you need to learn to write ask the right questions right. of the right people. Yeah. You should never have to convince anyone to buy anything from you. If you ask the right questions at the right time of the right people, they will convince themselves to buy. Mm-hmm. And then you have a much more loyal customer or client because they, they weren't coerced into buying from you. Yeah. They made the decision because they knew it was the right fit. Yeah. And that's why curiosity and fascination are always way more powerful yeah. than making assumptions and judgments, yeah. which are very easy to do, very tempting to do, but we've got to ask questions. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends, or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but you may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out. And it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space to get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through the stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. I want to dig into blind spots because we've been talking about this. This is a perfect little transition here. Do either one of you have a story that you can think of right now? It was a really fun, aha, blind spot moment when you're coaching an athlete and Mm. they literally, they didn't see it. You saw it as plain as day. They didn't see it, and it was a true like it was a true aha. Do you, either one of you have one of those? Well, I definitely have a blind spot where I had the blind spot. If you want to go down that, but okay, that's fine. I'm going somewhere. Okay, because okay. I'm going to dig into this, but I, I want to talk about what is it like whether it's somebody you coached or you yourself mm-hmm. discovered a blind spot. Someone else helped you see it. I'm curious to know what was the reaction. Yeah, yeah, I could go both ways on that, but let's start with the blind spot that I had. Okay, because it will it helps show coaches that that. We don't know everything, and right. it's all about serving. So when I got with the Brooklyn Nets, when I was coaching with the Nets, and I was this young, up-and-coming coach, and you know, I'm with the Nets. I, I, right. I made it. Right. Yeah, this I is Brooklyn. It. And Joe Johnson, he's a seven-time NBA All-Star, the stud, the leader of our team, and he asked me to work him out. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to work out Joe Johnson, this All-Star. I'm going to bring my best stuff. I'm going to bring everything that's in my bag. So I'm working him out, and, you know, I'm throwing him through all these cool drills, you know, double step backs, all these things, and he's just going after it and sweating, busting his butt. And we go for about an hour, and he goes super hard through it. And at the end of it, he's shooting free throws, and I'm rebounding for him, and he calls me over and says, kid, come over here, I want to tell you something. And just so you know, like, it's not it's not good when a coach is called kid by right, the, the person course. you're coaching. So, But I think, I'm thinking he's going to tell me it's a great workout. He says, you know, Nothing we did there had any relevance to my game. Nothing at all was going to help me in the game. Everything was just for show. And like I like my heart just oh sunk. my gosh, you almost threw here, up on his shoes. Exactly. Yeah. But what he was he was teaching me this lesson of that I should have went into the workout saying, 
you know, how, how, how do you want to get better? How can I help you? How can I serve you? So instead of like coaches will want to look good and will want to get the credit, kind of what Alan was alluding to earlier is this, if you, you have this flip of the switch of it is not about you in any situation that you're coaching. It is all about serving the person that you're working with. Yeah. And from there on, I always went in with that service mentality. So it was a blind spot of me of thinking, I'm the coach. I have control. I'm the one that looks good. But how did you change your coaching going forward as a result of that? Oh, so anytime turning moment. Totally. Anytime we started a workout, I would ask the player, "How do you want to get right. better today?" Exactly. You walk off the court. What did we get better at today? Yeah. Because you can have a plan. Yeah. But plans are gonna plans have to be flexible. Yeah. They yeah. have to be dependent mm-hmm. on how the player is feeling. Well. We could do a 10-hour episode I on know. all of the blind spots that I've had. And, I don't and, want one of those. I want no, you to flip it. Well, Give me a moment I, where I've, you've opened one up. I've finally something. gotten to the point where I acknowledge, even right now in this present moment, I know that I have blind spots. Now, yeah. I don't know what they are. That's why they're blind yeah. spots. You have a giant I, thread on the side of your head. I'm <laughs> that, that sounds, that I'm probably kidding. is accurate. It's not true. But what I do not is, true. I do try and insulate myself with amazing people like you guys who I know care enough about me to tell me when I have blind spots. So yeah. I know that I have right. them, but I've insulated myself with people that will, will help expose them. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, I, I did a lot of work at the high school level. And, you know, when kids take bad shots or kids make what we as coaches would call dumb turnovers, it's not because they're bad kids. It's because they don't have the basketball IQ to know that that was a bad shot mm-hmm. or that was the bad pass. Sure. So the expert high school coaches in particular that I've been around, and I worked for two Hall of Fame high school coaches in the D.C. area, that's again when they go back to asking questions they would ask is that the best shot that we could have gotten on that possession they don't tell them ken why did you shoot that you don't shoot that no they would ask is that the best shot that we could have gotten on that possession Mm. and then they would stop and then the player would need to own and and ask themselves or be able to say no that was probably not the best well why wasn't it the best shot that Mm. we could have gotten well, I, I wasn't really in rhythm. I wasn't in range. That's the good. time and score wasn't appropriate. Yeah. I was heavily guarded. And then it's a learning opportunity, not only for them, but for the rest of the team. Same thing with a turnover. You know, you got your guys running five on five at the end of practice, a little scrimmage situation. Can you bring the ball down? You make a very lazy pass to the wing to David. It gets stolen. Easy two points on the other end. Instead of berating you, I'm going to stop and, and give you the benefit of the doubt that in that moment, you thought that was the right pass to make. You're not intentionally trying to make mistakes or turnovers. So I'm going to ask you, why did you think that was the right play to make? And I'm going to hold you to the fire to answer it. But then the second part that great coaches do is I'm going to say, well, if we could rewind that and you had a do-over, which we don't, but if we did, what's another decision that you could have made that Mm -hmm. might have had a better outcome? And you'd say, well, I could have ball faked to David and our guy in the post was wide open. I could have given him a bounce pass for an easy layup. So now, again, there's ownership yeah. over the course I correction. Love that. But way, that's a blind spot. The is. turnover or the bad shot was right. a blind spot. It was not Absolutely intentional. Right. Yeah. So we have to hold up that mirror and get them to answer and be held accountable to why they made those plays. All right, I just got something, okay? I, I, I got the pencil. I got the moleskin. I'm writing it down right now. Please. Alan just dropped a nugget on us. <laughs> what works in that scenario is that a good coach, a great coach, allows the person they're coaching to own the situation through observation. Yeah. Nice. So instead of them defending themselves, the yeah. coach who gets in their shorts and is screaming at them, which I've never been a fan of that stuff. Right. That's humiliation. Yes. It's not good coaching. Um, that's fear. That, that's that's uh, that's intimidation is what that is. Yes. Uh, but the, getting the player to observe, you know, Go back through the moment. Rewind. Take me through that. I, I just wrote that down. That is education through observation. They are yeah. now learning by observing. Well, that's I, I'm, really, I'm so glad that was helpful to you. Bro, and I'm going to steal it. Well, no one will ever please, know that you gave me that. No, no, please, that off. please, please do. You know, you know, David really and I, good. we, we are, are similar in so many different ways. And we've both made the jump from being in the basketball space to now in the, the speaking, coaching leadership development space. And I think I won't speak for him, but I'm sure he's going to nod and, and, you know, to assert the same thing. One of the reasons, one of these reasons that we love our work is because the principles that we learned through the game of oh basketball that we love have such high oh. utility that they apply in every scenario. So the example we just gave was of a high school coach who has a player that took a bad shot or made a turnover. But if you're the CEO of a company and one of your employees, a sales professional, someone in HR, you know, they make a mistake. It's the exact same approach. 
don't humili- humiliate them, chastise them, ask them a yep. question. That, that, that email that you sent a, a prospect, why did you think that was the best email to send them? Right. That thing you said at the meeting the other day, what's something you could have said slightly differently that would have gotten a better yes. response from your teammates? Yeah. It's all the same. Coaching is coaching, yeah. and these principles have yeah. such high utility. Yeah. That's why one of the reasons people bring us in to speak is because we're going to share principles, proven principles, that they can apply directly to their That's businesses. Right. That champions use. So the reason I set you guys up on the blind spot is I, I want to throw something out there. Uh, I, I get irritated when I see this in culture. So I'm going to be cranky old man for a second. Curious to know what you guys think. I think because we have more access to knowledge, i.e. information, than we ever have in the history of the world. I mean, it's on our phones. Yeah. I mean, it, whether it's 24-hour news or it's a social media app, whatever, we can learn anything about anything instantaneously. And the world that the three of us are in, I think this is this is a problem. This is why I went to blind spot. There's a difference between signing up for a coach and say, I need coaching. And when the coach reveals the blind spot, there's a difference between knowing and doing. Oh. And I think we have got <laughs> a co- oh see I fired you up. Because here's the deal. I'm gonna jump in on this one. No, both of you. Because yes. here's what I would assert. I think we have now got a whole class of people. So I'm going to hurt some people's feelings right now, but it's okay. You are a personal growth junkie, just like a druggie on the streets who they're looking for the next high. You go to every conference, you buy the next book, you're listening to the next hot podcast, and it gives you that high, the true dopamine of, I learned something, I got inspired, I got challenged, and I believe it, I hear it, I see it, but I don't take the step of doing it, and this is where a coach comes in. I just want to know, do you think we've gotten a culture where we've got all these personal growth addicts who they're just junkies looking for the next high? They never do anything with it. Oh, we, we absolutely do. One of my main focal points that groups bring me in for is to improve organizational performance, and the key to doing that is what I call closing a performance gap. And a performance gap is exactly what you just described so insightfully. A performance gap is the gap between what we know and what we do. Yeah. And the very first step to improving whether it's individual performance or organizational performance is closing that gap. Because knowledge without execution or implementation or without action is utterly useless. Worthless. Reading reading your book yeah. but not changing any of your behaviors yeah. afterwards yeah. was a colossal waste yeah. of time. Yeah. So putting things into action and implementing and executing is the name of the game. Yeah. And that's pivotal to my work is getting people to actually close that gap. Start doing the things that you know and start putting them into action. Yeah. And that that is, yes, and we do, that is a, a, a pandemic for lack yeah. of a better Where, word. Why? Why are so, we there? So, so here's the thing is, yes, in the, the last book I wrote was based on that. Do it. Yeah. And it, it's based on what holds people back from right. that, from that that gap in between what where you it? are today. It is fear. It is ultimately yes. fear. It's fear of the uncertainty. It's fear of taking a chance and not knowing what's going to be on the other side of it. So people are comfortable with going to these seminars and reading these books and getting these dopamine hits. But it's actually hard to take that action. It's hard to stay consistent. It's hard to do what these people are telling you to do. So there's, it's a, you know, kind of a catch-22 is these are great seminars and books and podcasts and everything. But sometimes it's just giving information as well. Well, people will know, but a lot of people don't know. Like literally, it sounds basic to us, but how to take that next step. That's why Alan says he's really on the simple. That's it. That's why Atomic Habits sells 8 zillion copies. Uh It's simple. It gives you actionable items and steps. Because if you look at something as a big picture and you go to a Tony Robbins conference, you're like, my life's changed. I'm going to be the greatest. It's cool in the moment, but it's daunting when you look at how far it is. It comes back to that ladder. Yeah. How do you take that one well, step and, forward? And David is so right there. And in addition to fear, it's hard. It's hard to change a habit that maybe you've had for Bingo. decades. It's not easy. If it was easy, you would already be doing it. And people have such a fear of discomfort, which is why we're fortunate to have come from a basketball training space where we both know intuitively discomfort is not a nice to have. It is a prerequisite have to, to have. growth. It is a necessity. The only way you can change the physical body and the human body is to push it to a point of appropriate discomfort. Mm. So many people think, I learned the new thing by reading David's book. 
that's good enough. I learned. It's the same reason why you have 10,000 members belong to a gym and only a thousand of them actually use the membership and show up because 9,000 of them just felt better by signing up for the membership. They think I just signed up for a gym membership. My fitness is going to improve because going in and actually sweating and moving weights around and, and is hard. And I think some people unfortunately have a fear of pushing past hard and pushing past discomfort, which again, to tie the red thread to our conversation is what a good coach will do. A good coach will push you to do the things that you do not want to do on your own. They will tell you the things that you need to hear, not the things you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like Alan's saying is it, people put a limitation. They put a ceiling upon how good they can be or what their potential is. And they, they basically limit themselves because they don't know how to take any action steps forward. They don't know how to go forward. And they, they have this, this fear that if they do it or if they try to change, what will other people think of them? What will, you know, are they going to be made fun of? So it is the, it's the fear of the unknown ultimately. And it's the fear of, like you're saying, it's the, the difficulty of actually going through it. But one thing George Mumford, Kobe and Jordan's mental coach said they would do every practice is they would try to do something a little bit a little bit more challenging, a little bit out of their comfort zone. I know it sounds cliche to say, hey, get comfortable in the uncomfortable, but if the greatest players in the NBA are continuing to push that proverbial ceiling higher yep. by getting out of their comfort zone, it's It's not like, hey, is that a way to grow? It's yep. the only way to grow. And then you yep. ask people, literally ask people, what is the worst that can happen? Yep. The worst that can happen is you die from it. And then you're dead. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to tell you this, guys. I, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, but I, I'm going to go a level deeper. And I don't mind if you guys disagree with me. Keep I really don't. It. I'm an observationist here. I've, I coach, I've coached 7,000 people, not athletes. All right? But I think, watching the great athletes, I think they want it more. There is this human condition where we would rather be miserable than uncomfortable. I'm just talking real people now. Forget athletes. We're real people, it's like, We'll go in and do a job that we hate, have a life that sucks, but we'll do it because it's the devil we know versus the devil we don't. And that I want to say that again. The, the, the greats, they accomplish something special in athletics. I could go down the list and date myself. Alan's close to me in age. <laughs> but I look at a Jamarcus Russell, mm. NFL number one pick, mm. talent, mm dripping off of him, can throw it 90 yards on a knee. Uh, you look at Tom Brady. Uh, you look at uh, who's the current quarterback, uh, Jalen Hurts yeah. for the Eagles. Yeah. Let's take Jamarcus Ruckle, Russell and Jalen Hurts, okay? Russell way out-talents Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts gets benched for Tua, okay? And he thinks his career's over. He goes to Oklahoma. Now he's one of the best quarterbacks, if not top two or three quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Is Jalen Hurts talented? Absolutely. And I don't know what's going on in Jamarcus's life, but I'm going to tell you, whatever spawned out of that, and I'm making a strong statement here, but I believe it is how bad do you want it? Yeah. Kobe freaking Bryant was crazy talented. Okay? Michael Jordan, crazy talented. But those dudes... Now let's throw LeBron James in there. Yeah, crazy physical talents, but to to a person, those dudes still want to be great. Oh, man. Those yeah. three guys, they wanted it. And so I think yes, fear and doubt and all that stuff is true. But I, I at the end of the day, I just look at people who don't do anything in their lives, and I go, you would rather be miserable than uncomfortable, <laughs> and you don't want it bad enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, so don't come to me to coach you, because yeah. you don't want to change your life. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. There's a want to. Yeah. I know you got a great story. No, you want to yeah, say it? No, it, yeah. it is fair, but in, in that case, their desire for what they want outweighs the temporary discomfort that they're willing to endure. That's the issue. They know that if I can temporarily put myself in a place of discomfort and do so consistently during the unseen hours, then I'll eventually be rewarded yes. with what it is that I, I want. And at least in and your it, example, David, like yeah. where they were, he was his mental coach, their mental coach was pushing them a little bit more. It's keep yeah. pushing them. Well, well all, ultimately what we're talking about is change and leaning into change. Yeah. And, and what most people unfortunately get blinded by, um, David hit the word right on the head is uncertainty. So they, yes. they find, Find comfort in a perceived certainty yeah. Yeah. of, I, as you said, the devil I know versus the devil I don't. Yep. But what the elite understand is, 
if you keep doing what you've been doing, you will keep getting what you've been getting. Right. If you don't like what you've been getting, you need right. to change what you've been doing. Right. So for any elite performer, they're never satisfied with the level they currently are. They always want to matriculate up and they know that it's that old saying. I think Marshall Goldsmith said it first. What got you here won't get you That's there. Right. So they realize another one of my favorite quotes, and I'm a self-diagnosed quote nerd. If nothing changes, nothing right. changes. That's right. So you have to be willing to make the change in order to get that. And yeah. we have two types of change. We have the change that is imposed upon us, which could be anything from a two-year global pandemic right. to a restructuring at your office. That's right. Now, when imposed change happens, you need to recognize that you don't control the circumstances of the change but you're in full control of your response to that change. And high performers choose responses, mm -hmm. yeah. thoughtful responses that move them forward and, and help improve their situation. The other type of change, which I think is more of what we're talking about, is initiated change, yeah. is making a decision. I just read David's book. I just read Ken's book. I am going to change my behavior and implement the brilliant principles yeah. that these guys yeah. have shared. And I know that when I do that, it's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm okay with the temporary discomfort because it's going yeah. to lead to permanent improvement. And yeah. that is a trade we should all be willing yeah. to make. So if yeah. we're going to be coachable, it starts with want to. Yeah. And you told me a story last night at dinner. I didn't ask, you didn't tell me the full story. I want you to unpack it. Steph Curry, USA basketball, you're partnering with USA basketball. They bring you in to train these guys, get them ready for the Olympics or the world championships, whatever it is. This guy's Steph freaking Curry. <laughs> I mean, he's already proven that he's great. Yeah. And he and you're he's gonna come in and he's he's a who's Alan Stein? And, and you're gonna condition him. What makes those greats coachable beyond the want to? Of course well, he wants to get in shape, but what else? A slight reframe for the context of the story. Did I get when it I, wrong? Just slightly the context, but you, you got the premise correct. This was at the first I Kobe. I can't eat and pay attention at the same time. <laughs> it, this it's was different the... <laughs> than an interview. You know what I'm saying? I had some broccolini in my mouth. But you did pay for dinner, so all I is did. forgiven. I think it should be. Uh, this was before Steph Curry became the Steph Curry that we all know. This was in one okay. of his earlier years at Davidson okay, so in 2007, it. and it. it was at the Kobe Bryant Skills Academy. Right. And after the first workout, he asked if I would rebound for him uh, which is about all I could do at that point was rebound for him right. because he wasn't going to leave the gym until he swished five free throws in a row. Right. That was his standard of excellence. Right. He knew that he wanted to be one of the greatest shooters to ever play the game. He knew that in order to do that, he had to set an unparalleled standard and he wanted people to hold him accountable to that. So he said he was not going to leave the gym until he swished five in a row. And if memory serves, I don't think it ever took him longer than 15 minutes to swish five in a row. I was going to say, and I would have pushed him. easy to oh, swish five no. in a row. Because really? You know, at that level? Swish, do, do, do you know how swish. many times he would swish four in a row, and then hit, hit the a little <laughs> bit of the rim on the fifth one, and it would still count. go in, yeah. it was still five for right. five, he was still right. mathematically perfect, but to him, yeah. he didn't meet his standard, right. so he would start well, over. You guys know the story of Larry Bird. Oh, in yeah. his heyday, he wouldn't leave the gym until he hung the net. For so. non-basketball fans, that means where it's such a beautiful swish yeah. that the inertia makes the net essentially swoop up and hang itself over the rim. That's yeah. a pure shot. Fair? Totally Did I fair. screw that yeah. one up? I got uh, that one right. So I want to hit a point, too. Is there's, I break it down to do I drag you to the gym, talking to an NBA player, or do you drag me to the gym? So That's when you're talking to these good. players with p potential, Jamarcus Russell and the different players, I worked with a player. He came out of college, out of Kentucky. His name's Shea Alexander. Yeah. Nobody knew about this kid in pre-draft. And he's just unassuming, lanky, just, you know, just happy-go-lucky guy. And in pre-draft, we try to crush him. The first workout, crush him, because that's what the teams do when they go try to get a draft spot. So we put him through two hours, and he's, you know, he's sweating. He's soaked. And all the players would just, like, pass out on the floor and lay down and just be sucking air. Right after the workout, after we crush Shea, he comes up to me and says, when are we going tonight? I was like, oh, God, this guy's different. Yeah, he's, he's going to make he's it. He's special. He's yeah. special because he loved that process of it. Now He he's wants a, he, it. He wants it. Now he's one of the best players in the world. He's he is. top five. He was an all-NBA first team. There was another player, Josh Jackson. You remember this name? Sure, I remember him. draft pick. Did not want to go to the gym. Had to tell him when to yeah. go to the gym. And by the way, if I'm if memory serves, David, he was considered like no oh, ceiling. Can't miss. Like, like this can't guy, miss prospect. Yeah. Like one of the right. gonna be I one remember. of the great. So what that difference is is literally insatiable drive. The great ones like you're talking about have insatiable drive. Somebody doesn't have to tell them, hey, hey, this is when we gotta work out, or this right. is when we gotta do this. They just do it. Right. They're Steph Curry's, they're Kobe's at four AM. Yeah. It's in. Right. Like Tom Brady doesn't just stumble into avocado ice cream. 
<laughs> Alan, you're a nutrition fitness guy. Like he's digging, right? I it, mean, can it, that actually be good for you? There's it, no way that avocado ice cream real. can be good he, for he, you, right? He absolutely is leaning into that. You, <laughs> yeah. you know what all of this is making me think though, and this I'm going to offer uh, some unsolicited parenting advice is one of the best gifts as parents we can give our children is to put them in positions where they're going to be uncomfortable and then not bail them out. Let them learn the lesson for themselves. Don't bail our kids out of every time they find themselves in a predicament. If your kid forgets to bring their cleats to football practice, don't bring them the cleats. Let them learn the lesson and the consequence of not having your Love shoes that. and whatever the coach Love is that. going to do. Put your kids in positions where they're going to be uncomfortable yeah. and we can start to train mm -hmm. that mindset and that, yeah. that muscle. We, we tend to live in a society that parents coddle their children and want to comfort them. And as a parent myself, I understand that natural feeling. Mm -hmm. None of us want to see our children in pain. None of us want to see our children suffer, but yeah. that is actually the, the prerequisite to having the type of mindsets and skill sets that you're going to yeah. need later in life. So let it. your kids get cut from the team. Let your kids fail that test if yes. they choose not to study. Now you can console them afterwards. You can be compassionate, but make sure they learn the lesson from that. Yes. So I'm, I'm very big as a parenting philosophy. I give my kids tremendous autonomy yeah. and I let them know you are free to make all of these decisions on your own, but you are not free from the consequences of yeah. those decisions. Yeah. So choose accordingly. Well, you're going to develop kids with grit. I mean, we as parents over the last 30 years have been more concerned about how good our kids feel yeah. instead of how good they're doing. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, I want to wrap with this. We take a call right now. I go, let's go to line three. We got yeah. Fred on the line in Sheboygan. Hey, right. Fred in Sheboygan. Right. And Fred says to you guys, man, I, man, I, and I love all this. I, I get it. I know I need coaching in my life, you know? And he goes, he goes, Alan, David, he goes, I can't, he goes, I can't afford, I can't afford it right now. I can't afford any coach right now. What do you guys say to Fred? If you can't afford any coaching, it is you find your virtual round table. You, you listen to the Ken Coleman's, you listen to the John Maxwell's, you pick the, the area that you are looking to grow in, whether it's different areas, and put them at a table so you actually are becoming friends with these people. They don't know you. You're listening to their podcasts. You're studying everything that they're doing. You're watching their YouTube videos. But then, like we talked about, where the disconnect That's was, good. you're taking action towards it. And what I found the best way to learn, because I think you can learn an education off YouTube if you if you vet the right 100%. things. hundred percent. You totally can. Yes. But the, the issue is you learn it, you hear it, you have to write things down. Yeah. There is a connection between your brain and yep. the actual physical, not typing it with your fingers, but the physical writing it down. So you learn it, you see it, you write it down, then you go teach it to somebody else, mm. and then you repeat it. Four steps. Those four steps, yep. you will be able to learn things much faster than I agree. You, think you can. But but make your table. If you don't have the money for it, YouTube it up. Make I your table. I love that, man. I have nothing to add to that. There is no excuse in today's day and age with the, the social media, with YouTube, with, you know, we can get free books online. There is no excuse not to be able to seek the information that you yeah. need. And that the two steps would be seek all of the free information that you can and then get your inner circle to hold you accountable to putting those yeah. things you learned in action. And those people, if they truly love you and care about you and want to see you happy, successful, and fulfilled, they're not going to charge you to do that. Right. So say, I just read yeah. David's book, and here are the two things that I'm going to change in my life. Yeah. Ken, as my friend, will you hold me accountable I to doing that. those two, three? Th that's, that's, that's it. That's yep. Every I'm gonna single one person can have Fred, a coach. Fred, I'm going to add one more. Fred, Fred, David's right. Fred and Sheboygan. I think Alan is right, but I'm going to challenge you, Fred. You do the two things that David and Alan said, get coached from afar and get coached in your real life from a friend and just kind of the accountability thing. But you better start making some changes in your life financially because yeah. I can guarantee if I sat down with you, Fred, right. I could find some changes you need to make in your everyday life and your budget. You're spending money on stuff you shouldn't spend on. Yeah. And if you got to go get a second job in order to get coaching for a key breakthrough in your life, I'm talking breakthrough. I think so many people are one good coach away from transformation. I agree. And I'd say, Fred, do whatever it takes totally to be able to pay for a good coach. I, that's how much I believe in coaching. Well, didn't Warren Buffett say that wasn't his quote? Like, the best investment you can make yeah. is an investment in yourself that is ultimately investing in yourself for coaching. Yeah. The best investor ever yeah. says invest in yourself. Yeah. What are we yeah. doing? Billy Graham's got a famous quote, a coach will love impact it. more people, more young people in a year than most people love. That, would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if the first 
youth basketball coach I had when I was five years old in kindergarten didn't plant the seed that he planted, my life would have taken an entirely different trajectory. Basketball has been a major staple of my life for 43 out of the 48 years I've been on this planet. And it had nothing to do with whether he taught me how to shoot a layup correctly, but he did something yeah. that, that sparked the love I have for the game. Yeah. And here I am four decades later, basketball is a major pillar of my life. I can, I can almost drop the breadcrumbs that every single important relationship in my life, yeah. every single experience yeah. I've had is within a few degrees of basketball. Yeah. And this person who shall remain nameless planted that seed when yeah. I was five years old and he has no idea that he helped shape sure. my life. I've written three books and in all three books, coach Benny Polk, is in the books. Mm -hmm. Everyone, my high school basketball coach, because he believed in me. I mean, you talk about high school, insecure. I weighed 130 pounds. I had to run around in the shower to get wet. You know, <laughs> I mean, and he believed in me. In one moment, in one game, we're playing a tough team, all-state uh, shooting guard, Griff Aldridge. He's now the head coach of Longwood. Uh, and, and, and we couldn't stop him. I was the sixth man, and I'll never forget. Coleman, you know, you get up off the bench, you know, you're just, what, what, sir? And he said, I want you to get on Griff, and I want you to be inside his freaking jock. Don't leave him. I don't care if you do anything. That's all you do. And you know what I did? I did that. I harassed that guy, and I stayed with him the whole game. Every time he shot, all I did was put my hand right in front of his face. He was cussing me. I wouldn't even talk and smack until he started cussing me. Then I started, okay, well, we can do that. Yeah. And, and all I'm saying is, is that was one game. I never forget it. Yeah. It was that moment. I didn't get any accolades. There was no press write-up. But I'm telling you two guys that that was a moment that I can look back to and say, that guy believed that I could make a difference. Yep. And I made a difference. And the confidence it infused in me. And to this day, I love the dude yeah. because he believed in me. And that's tool. that's it. Encouragement. Yeah. And you do realize all of your younger listeners and viewers need to Google what a jock strap is. I know. They have <laughs> no idea. Just making sure you're, no, you're starting to show your that's age. That's bonus content. Yes, that's that is bonus awesome. content. Yeah. I, I got to ask, do they not wear jocks anymore? Oh, I no, don't believe no, they no. do. Are you they telling just, me they like, have the compression undergarments? Like they've, yeah. oh, the, the jock okay. has graduated, if you will. But yes, well, trust me, I'm your age. You don't need a jock anymore. Yes, I'm your age, so I know exactly. I'm still wearing one right now. Gets me in my game mode. You wear them on cross-country flights because you like the extra support. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's fantastic. Oh, David Nurse, Alan Stein, thank you guys so much. These are great coaches. You're impacting so many people. And I know that our audience is better for hanging out with you guys, so thanks. This was a real treat. Thank you so both. Fun. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Alan and David. And if this helped you and spurred you on, will you subscribe, like, and share? We'll be back with you before you know it.